Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. I've been wrestling with this for about a month, and we'll see where the Lord ends up taking us this morning. I like James. James is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He's an exhorter. He's not an encourager. Come on, let's get on about what we got to get done. Uh, he steps on our toes, but I think in the process, he's given us a hug too. So uh, looking forward to seeing what God's got in store for us this morning. I went back and listened to uh, Matt and Vicki on uh, James 1. I-, I like how Matt laid the foundation as far as the uh, sermons of wisdom, wisdom sermonettes, so to speak, and how he does things, and we'll touch base on a few of those things. And uh, But... The thing, the way Matt started kind of made me think of a couple of things. You know, he shared with his Amish Italian analogy, and the Amish and the, what was it, uh, what were they called? The Chotskis and uh, fly pie compared to the marinara sauce and the hair gel. I don't have to worry about that. Uh, his reference to Billy Joel. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in West Virginia. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, my analogy would be more like Southern Baptist uh, with fried chicken and bluegrass country music. And, and yes, I do know all the words to Almost Heaven, West Virginia. <laughs> no, I will not sing it this morning, but if you want to do some karaoke, I'm with you. So, hmm. I take away from my upbringing the analogy to help me put James in perspective. Uh, before meeting the resurrected Jesus, he was perceived as possibly foolish. In all that we have before knowing Christ, there's some foolishness going on in our thought process. And and part of what I think James is wanting us to do is to get past that uh, elemental human thought process that we bring into things. And, uh, you know, Matthew referred to in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 where James met the risen Christ and his life as he was a follower of Jesus, and because he was one that embodied wisdom, you know, he lived out what he believed. I think it's one thing we need to consider as we look at James' life. James was one guy who lived out what he believed, and he his encouragement is that, hey, we, we can all do that, and there's ways that we go about doing that, and there's ways that we uh, can embrace that. Um, they're challenging and encouraging us to live out what we believe. And, and what is the practical application? I'm a, I'm a rubber meets the road kind of guy. Anybody talks to me long enough, to, I, I can't hang up in the clouds too long. I got to get down. Okay, now what are we going to do with this? So that's why James really resonates with me. And like Vicki's quote, and I, I think it's, she, she quoted Matt, and I think it's worth repeating as we begin today, uh, do well, live well. In a world that rejects Jesus in their thinking and living, we live in a world that is, what's the word I want to do, increasingly polarized. I listened to a, uh, an inter- interview with uh, Philip Yancey, who's a writer, and, and it, some of the information he shared was only 47% of the population in the United States have a favorable bent toward Christianity. We're becoming more and more polarized. Our faith and the dynamics of Christianity is becoming more and more polarized. And I think part of it is 
what I'm going to talk about today and why some of that, that stuff is happening and, and what is God calling us to do about that. You know, James starts right out on the bat with what I call the three T's, right? Trials, temptations, and testings, right? And, and he gives us the answer in verse 5 of chapter 1. And it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So what's the answer? Wisdom. And how do you do it? You ask for it. What's the whole dynamics of discipleship? There's three things in the discipleship initiative I've been involved with the last couple of years. It's scripture, story, and prayer. What is this, the scripture? It, it's, in this case, it's James sharing his story. And what does it tell us in 1 Peter 1.20? It says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And what does Hebrews 4.12 tell us? The Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates our heart. It gets to the root and the core of who we are. It's through the Word that God changes us with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that each one of us, as well as the older members of RBC community, have asked for wisdom. We all ask for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Or, Lord, just help me pass this test. Lord, put all that information into my brain. I know I haven't studied and I've been up all night, but, Lord, I know you can do it. No? Maybe not. Maybe that's just me when I was in school. I don't know. I think praying or asking for wisdom is kind of like praying for patience. Lord, give me patience. And what happens when you pray for patience? You get trials, temptations, and testings, right? Same thing with wisdom. Wisdom is only lived out, or in what did uh, what did Matt call it? I think there was a word Matt used for it: a formative assessment. Right? Wisdom is that is this process that we go through the the things that we go through in our life create opportunities for us to say, "How am I doing? Ooh, was I wise in that one? Oh, maybe not so much. What can I do with that?" I could also uh, relate to, to Matt's story with the evangelicals from InterVarsity, where he said, uh, the tension of being fascinated and terrified at the same time. You ever come at Scripture fascinated and terrified at the same time? Lord, you want me to do this, but I can't do this in and of myself. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you're right, you can. That's why you need me. That's why you need my love, my grace, my mercy. So fascinated and terrified at the same time. And that's kind of the way I came at James 2. As I, was, I was fascinated by what I was reading, but I was terrified, like, Lord, how do, how do, I, how do I live this out? Now, like I said, Matt used the term formative assessment in a way we are connecting with James's exhortations. Understanding that the trials, the temptations, the testings reveal things. Those things reveal what is going on in our hearts, in our minds. And the question I have this morning is, what does God want to reveal to us this morning with regard to James 2? I really enjoyed Vicky's mirror analogy. That, that's pretty awesome stuff. I, the questions that she asked to unlock the mystery. It is a mystery. We're going to live our whole lives with tension. The tension is not going to go away. 
Because the moment we think we understand Romans 11, the depths are the riches of the wisdom of God, how unsearchable His judgments, His paths are beyond being traced. The moment we think we begin to understand a little bit, He say, wow. And we're just in awe of that. Seeing our two selves through the light of God's Word. I shared Hebrews 4.12. I'm going to actually read that, that because I'm going to come back to it later. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. To whom we must give an account. And I'll refer back to that as we get toward the end of our time together this morning. So, let's read James 2, 1-13. through 13. My dear brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who He loves, who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom we belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of them. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I wrestled with this for quite a while. And I, I come up with a little, it's the schism of the ism. Think about it. Anybody know what the schism is? Have you heard the word schism? Matt McBee and I kind of talked about this word. It's a word that it actually to tear to, it's a word, to discord, disharmony, friction, strife, disagreement. So a schism is there's, there's tension going on. And what is an ism? Back in 2015, the top seven words that were looked up in the dictionary were all ism words. Capitalism, socialism, racism, all kinds of ism words going on. 
So what does an ism do? It, an ism is a practice or a process. It's an action or a behavior. An oppressive or especially discriminating attitude or belief. Favoritism is that you're showing favoritism is you have an attitude or a belief of being favorable towards someone. Racism, you have to have an attitude, attitude or belief that is contrary or contradicting or discriminatory or descending or creating disagreement or strife. It's prejudice or discrimination on the basis of a specified attribute. So in our case, what we're talking about in favoritism is you're showing favor because there's something about that particular person that you adhere to or you want to bring out or there's something that person has that against or doesn't meet up to whatever expectation. The, the bottom line is you're the one that's defining what it is you're looking for. It's all about self. Do we live in a world that's all about me? Right? Talk about me, talk about you, talk about number one. Yeah. I'm not going to sing that one either. So. But that's part of this schism. That's part of this tension, this, this discord, this disharmony that James is talking about. And it's happening in the church. That's the whole thing. That's kind of what, kind of like, wow, he's talking about brothers and sisters. Do a word search sometime. I was, I was amazed at how often the word brothers and sisters is used in Scripture. Whether, you know, and James, he uses it several times. It's Paul. And then also in Hebrews, in 1 Corinthians, a lot of brothers and sisters. So a lot of Scripture is talking to us as followers of Jesus. What is it that He's calling us to do? Again, the Word is living and active. And what aspects of the Word is God trying to impress upon our hearts and our minds? What is Romans 12? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we renewing our mind to do? To have the mind of Christ, to be more like Jesus in who we are and what we do. So the schism of the ism. So think about that. I thought that was kind of catchy. He said favoritism, the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. And that kind of stuck out to me, at the expense of another. You know, in the example that James is giving us, you're putting in the rich up front and the poor in the back or whatever. How, how, can, how can we say that God shows no favoritism? Because His love and grace is the same for all of us. He doesn't take away anything from any of us to give all the love that He has for each one of us. He has the capacity. Psalms 8, Who is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you love him? He has the capacity to be intentional, aware, and completely and totally focused on us all the time, individually. Blows my mind. Can't grasp it. But that's who our God is. That's who our God is. And part of the thing I looked at was you know, favoritism and all the isms is it's from bias. We have biases. What are those things that we bring to the table that we, the filters that we use? You know, Matt talked about coming from the Catholic uh, Italian background, you know, and the, you got Amish, Mennonite, Anabaptist background, you know, the Southern Baptist, fried chicken you know, country music background. We all have those things that we bring into our lives that make us who we are. But what the Lord says, hey, the most important thing is you are mine. The most important thing is you belong to me. I am yours. 
We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus was the, on the cross, re, released the Holy Spirit to live within us, where we can say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. Thank you. So the rich and poor analogy, kind of shared that. Talked about the formative assessment. The royal law found in the Scripture. It all goes back to the Scripture. Uh, some of you, I've shared the story. Um, I was at Honda for 30 years. I came to Christ in January of 1990. In October of 1990, I was torquing bean bolts and memorizing Scripture. God put me in a place to where I had the opportunity to spend time in the Word because the Word is what changes you. The Word is what makes you more and more like Jesus if you apply the truth of the Word to your heart. Galatians 5. Share a couple different scriptures from there. Verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Showing favoritism is a yoke of slavery. Verses 13 through 18. You, my brothers and sisters, kind of pulled that one out, another brothers and sisters in Galatians, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Kind of that mirror that Vicki talked about, the perfect law, that mirror that we're looking at, it changes us. Verses 22 through 26, and I'm sure you guys in your mind can say these, and the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I think that ties into a little bit of what Paul was saying with the rich and the poor. They were envying and, envying and provoking each other with regard to how they were treating, showing Favoritism. And then chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And this is our encouragement as a community. I love being here at Rosedale. I'll tell you what. I've, I've grown more in the last two years being here than the last 20 years. Because why? This is a community of faith. This is where we as a body have the focus of becoming kingdom workers. Man, Jesus is here. Here the Holy Spirit is alive and well and blessed to be part of an intercessory team that we're starting and all kinds of neat things going on here. Why? Because God is at work. 
And we are positioning our hearts and our minds to be sensitive to where it is He wants us to go, who it is He's called us to be. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6 of Galatians. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's us here at Rosedale. We are a family of believers. And God's calling us not to show favoritism. And I, and, and I, and I think there's a positive dynamic to that. We say it not to show favoritism, as all, it's a negative thing. Not to show favoritism is that we are so filled with the love and the grace and the mercy of God that as we interact with each other, we are encouraging each other, supporting each other. That is our heart. That is who we desire to be. Again, another piece of Scripture. Again, you got to use Scripture to talk about Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, again, I'm, has anyone ever memorized chapter, the, the 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared, kind of, sort of, maybe? Yeah. Come up here, man, I want to hear it now. <laughs> Put you on the spot. That was one thing that, uh, if nothing else besides physical labor and getting in shape, was that I had the opportunity just to memorize Scripture. You know, it's the Word is what changes us. So, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Love never fails. Pretty hard to be showing favoritism if you're living in an environment of love. But where there is prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completion comes, what is in part disappears when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know that in part, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith hope and love, but the greatest of these in love. The mirror. What is that mirror that we're talking about here? A reflection in a mirror. Then we will see him face to face. And part of what Matt talked about in his talk was uh, James was foolish, but then he became wise. Becoming wise is a process. It's not an overnight take a pill, eat certain things. It's a process. Wisdom is what God has called us to be, but wisdom is something we have to be involved in becoming. So how do we go about this journey that God has put us on with regard to the wisdom? 
What's some takeaways? What's the context? Like I mentioned, it's the body of believers. What body of believers, what bodies of people are you involved with? Your family, your church, RBC. Where are those relationships that you have that you may be challenged to show favoritism, to not love as God loves? Well, I had a few, and, I, and this challenged me. Uh, but there's the old saying, if God's close enough to step on your toes, He's close enough to give you a hug. Right? So if He's stepping on your toes with this stuff, remember, He's also hugging on you too. Uh, what's our objective? To become wise. In verse uh, 18 of chapter 1, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Here you can go back to Scripture. That we may be a kind of first fruit all that He's created. What is that first fruit to be, to live out the fruit of the Spirit, right? How you doing? How am I doing? Like I say, this, this, one, this one was tough on me. I grew up with a very critical spirit. I still have my tendencies. But through relationships and accountability, studying the Word, Again, share your story, study Scripture, and pray. Pray for and with each other. I encourage you throughout the day, and I and I got to call Heather out. Thank you. She came up to me before and said, "Rick, can I pray with you?" How often do we miss out on the opportunity to be a blessing to others because I ain't going to make a time for that? Oh, I got to hurry up. I got to go. Listen to the promptings. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, who He's calling you to be within this body. How will we respond? Moment by moment. In the context of, of what we do in life, there's a stimulus and then there's a response. And that, that spot in the middle is called the gap. What do you do with the gap? Something happens. In this case, the rich guy came in and a poor guy came in. And what did they do? They had an opportunity to do one of two things. Show favoritism or not show favoritism. It's understanding what it is. You say, oh, okay, according to God's Word, here's the way I should be living. Boy, Lord, help me to do it your way, not my way. Help me to be others-focused, not selfish and not self-focused. Jesus, what was Jesus all about? Son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. How do we do that? How do we live that out each day? So what do you do in the gap? In that moment, take a deep breath and say, Lord, help me to do what it is you've called me to do. Help me to be who you've called me to be. Suppose a man, in verse 2 there, suppose a man. You know, James encountered a vision, the risen Christ and it changed his life. As we've encountered the risen Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, how are we allowing Him to change our lives, to be more like Him? And as we encounter the risen Lord, as we encounter Jesus, as you, I, as we, as, as a community, how do we respond? Are we responding with love, joy, mercy? I, I love how it ends. And there's a whole theological 
conversation we can get into with regard to verses 12 and 13 with what that looks like on the judgment seat. But I like what it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, are we treating everyone, each other, with the heart and mind of Jesus? Are we extending love, grace, and mercy in our relationships? Are we open to what it is He is calling us to do and to be here at Rosedale and in all the relations that, that we have? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's all about You. You are life itself. Your Word says, and this is eternal life, that they may know You, the one true God, and Jesus Christ. And you've said we thank you, Jesus, for the truth of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired and came alongside those who have written your word. We thank you for James, his words of exhortation, but his heart for others. I pray, Lord, that you help each one of us to be more like you in all that we do, that we not show favoritism, as it talks about here, but uh, we allow your spirit to uh, work in us and through us so that your fruit would be uh, flourishing, be manifested here and in the relationships that we have with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.